What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influence. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbow, and welcome to a championship edition of the show. We're celebrating 15 years of Killswitch Engage's third and possibly biggest album on Roadrunner, As Daylight Dies. To talk about the making of that record, we will be talking with band, bassist, and artist Mike D. But first... Anyone who has heard this show before is either psyched or exhausted to know the only thing I'm a nerd about as much as music is wrestling. So when considering ways to make this Killswitch Engage episode special for you and, you know, me, I thought of the current WWE NXT Cruiserweight Champion, Roderick Strong. Roddy's finishing move he won that very championship with is called The End of Heartache, named after the album by Killswitch and part of how I first connected with him. So I spoke with Roderick Strong right after he'd had a match with now WWE UK Champion, Eli Dragunov, and finally got to find out the beginnings of the end of Arctic. Big fan. I was, oh my god. I would listen to him all the time when I go to Japan and stuff. Like I just remember being so jealous when punk got to use their music. I was like Fuck man, that would have been awesome if I could have been the first person. Well if you you're know, like NXT theme when you first came in on that babyface run was like super kill switchy. I can't imagine that was a coincidence either. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but it's just crazy when you know you want something done that's like, and it's just you know it's never as good as the people who could do it. So because we almost had a little bit of a a thing, it would have been awesome. I had it worked out where they were gonna because they were having an album that was getting ready to come out, and they were gonna be able to like promote it and stuff with NXT and, but yeah, basically cover what they had done for me, but obviously improve it, which is what I wanted. There's a certain sound that Killswitch has, and it just, you could tell if it's Killswitch or not. So, and it would just made me so sad that it, it like fell apart, but I mean, it was what it was. So they were going to basically do a cover of the Roderick Strong NXT theme, but as actual Killswitch. Yeah, so then put lyrics to it and stuff, yeah. Oh, and man. make it an actual song. That would have been sick, and it just didn't work out. That is a bummer. Because the reason I know who... Kill, well, I shouldn't say the reason I know who Killswitch is. The reason I got into Killswitch and the reason why I became a fan of you are both 
I got in, into you because I got into you. That sounds funny. Um, <laughs> watching Ring of I Honor. I didn't let you easily get into this. <laughs> yes, so that forced, made it really. Yeah. I, I wedged my way into your life by when I was watching Ring of Honor TV once, you used to come out to A Victim, A Target by Misery yeah. Signals. Oh, yeah. And all the Ring of Honor music was terrible. So when I heard a song that I liked and knew, I was like, oh, who's this guy? He comes out to Misery Signals. And so from then on, I kind of knew who you were and, and you were on my radar. And then Kill Switch, when I saw them on the Hellfest DVD and or VHS at this point, yeah. um, Mike had a Y2J shirt on. And I was like, oh, they like wrestling. Like, this is sick. So, like, you know, we're all, <laughs> we're all friends. So I think you're from... Uh, wisconsin right yeah i was born there but i moved like rather early like eight months old okay so misery signals wisconsin connection is not for you no which just ended up being small world yeah i think it's pretty interesting like i i didn't actually even know that until i had been using the song for a few years i really started looking into it more and i was like oh snap that's awesome but I still have some Wisconsin ties. Like my uncle's got a like yearly race that they do for him, commemorative race, because he passed away like years ago before I was born. But he was getting ready. He was a big time dirt track racer, like car. He was getting ready to go like to pavement and NASCAR and all that stuff before he passed away. So and then like my grandfather has a street named after him, like from the small town. I was born in Eau Claire, but lived in Altoona. Yeah, my grandfather Used to own that whole little town, pretty much. He owned yeah. all the gas stations, car dealerships. Oh man! But so you have deep ties. Your family has deep ties to Wisconsin, but you were there for a very brief period of time. Yeah, still like to rep Wisconsin every once in a while. I only knew they were from Wisconsin because the Misery Signal shirt I had in like middle school was a Milwaukee Bucks ripoff. And oh shit, that's awesome! That's hilarious. So when did you first become a fan of Kill Switch? Was it with the end of Heartache or you were already into them before that? Uh, yeah, it was that album. That was when I really, I don't know, let's do, I had a buddy named Jay Jaffe that is, who got me into Misery Signals, got me into Kill Switch. He's a huge, huge music person. So we used to listen to all kinds. Of, man, there's so much that I can't remember it now, but I could probably go back through like my library and see all the the like bands I would listen to back then it's insane but Kill Switch is just one I just love good singing like coupled with it I'm a voice mark so like back when in high school I used to love like anybody with a, a different sounding voice like C Murder I was really in the note he had like a raspy voice and then this guy called Mr. Magic that used to do that like, uh, the Fiend the, the name kind of goes uh, anyone kind of like that I really attached to so you know when I heard you know like Howard scream and sing I was like oh shit and then the music is just awesome yeah End of Heartache was interesting for me because so when they got Howard it was like this extra kind of polish to it so it kind of I think maybe divided their fan base at the time but obviously the side that liked it was much bigger because they were much more successful with them but i remember when end of heartache first came out i was a little i was a little against it because you know the like radio singles they would put out were like re-recordings of it where he it was all singing 
And I was like, where's the screaming at? And then like on the actual album, it's got the harsh vocals. And I was like, okay, this is what I was, I was missing. So there was a time I where I never I was knew like, that. Oh my God. Yeah. I would probably would have been the same way then. I like the contrast. It's very, I mean, it's very fitting for a lot of people because I think they can relate to just that emotion of like, ah, but that ah is really coming from like in a, a sad and like frustrated, emotional. If people were more willing to be vulnerable, you'd be able that wouldn't you wouldn't need the contrast, but it really helps. Like it helped me like through a lot of tough stuff. That's why I love music. And the music is so aggressive too. So sometimes it makes sense to have that, you know visceral release of the screaming but so this is the 15th anniversary of as daylight dies which is my favorite kill switch album and at the time too same thing so end of heartache had come out they got super big compared to how they were before and my curse was released as a single and it was all singing too like instead of like this is my curse i was like this is my curse and i was like oh no we've we've gone the wrong direction (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah that's usually what happens with bands they end up going they're like oh this got on the radio okay that's what i used to hate because i didn't listen to a ton of you know radio besides like hip-hop radio but yeah i used to hate like bands that i thought were a little bit harder that would just would go all soft and then it was just too much like in that direction so that's crazy though (laughs) i would have been the same way (laughs) whoa well i always think i have like ptsd from so incubus when i was growing up was one of my favorite bands and they put out this album called science that's just like this heavy like funk metal album and then they put out the follow-up that had that song drive on it and they got huge off a drive and then just made 10 albums that sound like drive and i was just like oh this is what every band i like is gonna do they're gonna get popular And then that's all they're going to do is that one thing that got them big. So that's kind of what I I had this fear with Killswitch. But then as Daylight Dies ended up being my favorite album, just because it it does have all the things that I love about that band. Howard, I think, is at his peak on that one, because I feel like End of Heartache, maybe they were still like kind of figuring out how it works between them all, you know, because he's kind of newer in the band. And then as Daylight Dies, it's like, okay, we know how it works and we're going to really pummel it home. And there's some crushers on that record man but is is um end of heartache your favorite kill switch album then yeah i mean it's the one i've technically listened to the most so besides that i mean i i would do a little bit uh of their the stuff before howard came but then for i was like eh, i was like so in love with howard's voice it was hard for me to even really listen to the stuff without him but then as I've gotten older, I've started to enjoy that more. And since Jesse's came back, I just, you know, I like to play that stuff for my son sometimes and stuff. So, I mean, because he loves music. He freaking absolutely loves it. And it's awesome because my dad's a musician. And I have a lot of people that were musicians, like, in my family. So music's, like, really, really big. So just, the you know, to be able to introduce him to that kind of stuff is cool, too. But, yeah, I... uh yeah, it's just interesting that because of my attachment to the one singer, it was hard for me to even like give a chance to Jesse, even though he was there before. And I think that's what happened to a lot of people when End of Heartache came out because they were already two albums deep and Alive or Just Breathing was like this huge album when it came out. I mean, it's it's hard to even explain it to people, not that I'm necessarily explaining it to you, but somebody who might be younger, they just don't get like when that album came out, metalcore wasn't really a thing like it is now. So like they were really busting on the doors and they were on mtv with um fixation on the darkness and my last serenade 
So I think a lot of people were attached to Jesse. So when Howard came in, they're like, well, we're, we're already good with the guy you had before. We don't need more singing and everything like that. But uh, yeah. Yeah. They definitely are so different. It's crazy that it could be similar, but such a different sound like with the singer. I mean, obviously that probably makes sense, but it's hard to imagine like shit. That's drastically different than, uh, you know, say when Howard sang. There's actually a Roadrunner band called Realm from Wisconsin that are in the Wisconsin Hall of Fame. So I wonder if you're like related to one of them. No. But that's like their thing that they claim all the time. They're just they're doing like some reunion stuff and festivals, I think, around now. And they're like, yo, we're in the Wisconsin Hall of Fame. So yeah. show some respect. When they did you put me in there? <laughs> but, well, that, that, you got to start claiming it more. You can't, you got to downplay that you were only there for eight months. You got to be like, yeah, I grew up there. Like 18 years. Yeah. I mean, my, my body was in Florida, but my brain. Right. Was in, uh, Your heart was in Wisconsin. Yeah. There you go. When did you start calling the move the end of heartache? Well, I created it in 2010. So. It was a while after, because I used to just do it kind of as like a, I remember the first time I ever did the move was Dayton, Ohio against El Generica. It was how I did a cutoff to him because I just was thinking about it. That's kind of how I would do moves like, oh, well, I was doing the Orange Crush at the time a lot. And I was like, God, I get these guys so high. I know I can get underneath them. That's kind of how like I thought of like the double knee gut buster was like, I would always do the Malenko one, but I'm like, I get these guys high enough. Like, I just need to fill the space. And we didn't even practice. I'm like, oh, we'll just give it a try. And then it may have been right because I started using that muse, uh, that's the end of heartache as my entrance music in PWG. It was like when I turned heel and I became champ. Like, it was for me, it epitomized like, my change you know even though it misery signals is is a little bit harder but it's just different and uh, the cadence is slower and it just i don't know it's all tied into you know and then i was just thinking about the logic because i was joking with my buddies and i was like imagine if someone's heart just popped out you know what i'm saying and then it's not it that's kind of how it came about like i was like oh the end of heartache i'll just make the chest you know their freaking heart fly out of their chest and that so i would probably think around like 2014 maybe had a lot of matches yo that match you had a little side note with uh dragon off the other night was fucking crazy yeah it's wild my back is actually really sore from cutting his face open yeah well so what cut was it his eye or his nose or what is his eyebrow oh yeah it's right here i was like i got got a little bone back here that sticks out a little bit and uh just sliced and diced him <laughs> i was like oh my. i was like where's this blood coming from yeah it was pretty wild and yeah, it was cause... a last minute change too so it was just one of those things i mentioned my buddy i'm like i think i spoke it into existence i had done an interview that morning saying like he's one of the guys that i'd like to work with and the fact that he's russian like my mother-in-law and my wife got a chance to meet him before my mother-in-law is from moldova like my wife is russian and uh you know, they always support, the, you know, their people and stuff like that. So she had like a funny interaction with him. So she remembers him. So we talked about him a little bit over the weekend. And then I had mentioned him in an interview and then boom. So and it's more, you know, he's more my 
my style, but not exactly. He's aggressive. And if I work someone that's exactly like me, the matches tend to not be very good, I feel, because there's there's no budging and vulnerability. So if I'm a bad guy and I'm fighting another super tough guy that won't show weakness, you know, even if he is a good guy, the match doesn't tend to be good. Like just do better, especially as a heel. He's a tough, tough dude, but he's also understands that you got to be a little vulnerable to get people to care. So it's nice, like in that sense. So it, it was exciting. It's funny because that was the kind of the whole point of me, like buzzing my hair down, going back to like my old look. It's just that mentality. When I used to just murder people, I had no care. So bringing out that aspect of me in this character is uh, important. To I wanted people that you know, didn't give wrestling time to always watch me wrestle. Like that was something back when, because my first ever match in front of people, I was 13. My, uh, I actually have the flyer from the event, which is really cool. But as time went on, you know, obviously I understand what's different about me than other people. Like if I try to be, you know, high flyer, do a lot of like head scissors and stuff, that's just, it doesn't feel comfortable to me. And my style is more rough, rugged, and matches like my mentality. It's just real life mentality. Like it's legitimate to me in a sense. And I'm putting forth all my effort just so I'd show people because I would love when people could be like, dude, I don't even like this, but that match was crazy. But, you know, pure intensity and violence in a thing that people always question anyways is, I don't know. It's, it's what I set out to do. So that makes me really happy. Do you have a lot of people talk to you about kill switch because of you naming the move that like just stands there being like, oh yeah oh yeah and that will i mean to me that was awesome just like that's one of my favorite things about it is just being able to like instantly relate to something besides wrestling you know what i'm saying it's like an instantaneous thing because music is such a big like part of my life i spent a lot of time alone as a kid so i would listen to music all the time and like Music means the world to me. So having those little connections, is, it's unbelievable. Like I was big. Tupac's my favorite of all time. A lot of nights listening to him. And, you know, I didn't grow, I didn't grow up in the hood, but I grew up in my version of, you know, redneck ghetto. Like, uh, it's just, you know, just trying to make sense of what was going on around me. So, yeah, but I would listen to everything because my dad is like classic rock guy, really into the oldies and stuff. So I think like Cheap Trick was my first concert ever. I was such a little kid. I just remember my dad like, woo, like him and his buddy are just so fired up. And I'm like in the backseat of the Jeep like, all right, I can't wait to see this concert. And it wasn't obviously it was like an arena full of them, my dad and buddy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is great. Yeah, the, my dad actually... uh like some country songs my dad like back in the day had like taken off of him he wrote them and then someone bought them from him so an artist could use it so i, I learned about that a little young but i thought like oh it's only in country because <laughs> <laughs> the stereotypical country song was all about like heartbreak and the things that have been going wrong i said they just got to dive into everybody else's experience once the well dries up you can only be in that situation so many times so I was kind of like, damn, that's a sad person. 
I don't know if you remember, like in the early 2000s, there was this era of country where it was just country covers of like popular pop songs or like the big country songs. So like Backstreet Boys would put out a song and then it would be the country version of the Backstreet Boys song. And that would be yeah. number one. I do actually remember that. I had a hard time getting in the country for the longest time because of all those different reasons. It was like, oh my gosh. Now every once in a while, like some of my buddies listen to country and they'll They'll make me listen to it. I'm like, oh, this isn't that bad. I mean, it sounds like something I've heard, but it's not that bad. It's got, since I am a voice like Mark, I just, if they have a different kind of, or real Southern, I'm into it. We'll be back after a quick break. If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host Francesca Folinazzo and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt-country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler. And who's a voice that you think started you off on that? Was someone like C-Murder, like a, a rapper early on? Mr. Magic. Like when I heard DMX, just, well, I listened to like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Remember when they had that thing coming out of Michelle? Yeah. Yeah, so. They had that concert film with the animatronic turtles? Dude, I went there. I went and saw the, the show live. Oh, it's honestly one of the saddest moments of my life. Man, I wish my dad was here. Cause he t- it was me, my dad, my cousin, and my uncle. And my dad's like, man, I've never seen you like this. You're just singing all the words. I knew every word. And then, like, uh, Leonardo was coming, like, side stage. So all the kids were running so they could, like, ah. So I trip on a step, like, fall down. I get up, and he's too far for me to touch. And the rest of the concert, I just cried. I was just so sad. Like, I was enjoying it. But I, can't I was just so freaking embarrassed. dream and you got snubbed by leonardo the leader of all of all yeah and i well you know and i felt like i did it to myself i wouldn't have tripped i was just i was a really really overweight child so i was just a little too excited my feet weren't we're not working right yeah i didn't get to go to the concert but i 100 to this day have the vhs and that was a daily cycle of the teenage mutant ninja turtles concert film for sure that's amazing but um, to the point where, like, my parents were like, we're going to try to hide this because we're sick of hearing these songs. No, oh, I definitely understand that. <laughs> definitely. My son, uh, he actually took a break, but the Spider-Verse, like, soundtrack, you know, just that Sunflower song. Legitimately, I know all the words. I could probably say them in my sleep if you just did the... But he took, like, a little bit of a break from listening to it like 15 times a day, like the whole album. Like you can't skip a song or do it. He'll get to like maybe once or twice a week. Now back to every day, like at least five to seven times. Well, that's a real music fan. He's going whole album. He's like, yo, we're not skipping tracks. A side, B side, let's go. And he knows the words. It's crazy. And and then like, because some of them are, you know, softer. And I'll just look back and he'll be in his car seat, like dipping his head, getting in the sad mood. And then he'll start, just gets into character doing it. 
the music varies a lot. So Queen, he's really like, we are the champions. We will rock you, stuff like that. Uh, he likes jock jams. Yeah, he likes jock jams. It's hilarious. One of the first things my wife's family got when they immigrated over, they have a Power Rangers uh, towel, original one. Towel? We have, Yeah, towel. They got that. And then there's this one that's just got huge pair of uh, fake boobs, like a girl's body with an American flag bikini top. Those are like the two towels they bought when they first came to the United States. Like <laughs> you go to the beach, it's hilarious. And we still have them. I'm like, oh my God. But the Power Rangers, he really likes the original uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Does he think it's cool that you have action figures? Yeah, he loves it. I'm usually, just like in real life, I just get, he's kicking my butt the whole time. <laughs> my action figure never wins. It's still surreal to see sometimes. He'll be like, Dad, you're in here with me. I'm like, no. I'm in the, he's like, Dad, look. And they like beat me up. <laughs> but that might be good for just, uh, you know, conflict. Instead of actually like you guys having fights, he can just kind of go let out his aggression mm-hmm. on the toy and then everything's cool. Right. Yeah, but he doesn't, though. But eventually, <laughs> let's work to that. I'm always his target. <laughs> and victim. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and when are we going to get the retail version of those Diamond Mine jackets? I'm working on them. I'm telling them. Dude, I'm they're so I'll actually, when we sick. Get a, oh, I love it. It was cool. They, you know, we just had talked about a concept and they're the ones that created the design and everything. And I was like very proud of them because we were trying to give it a different feel and, and not just like a regular jacket. And I saw you even have like rash guards. Yeah. I actually got those made for everybody Oh man, that's because yeah. it's a important. And I actually got like custom pads made and gloves made. We just haven't seen, we haven't been able to like show any of that stuff yet, but. I'm just thankful for the fact that I know, uh, you know, there's a guy that runs shows here in Florida, like a, it's called Combat Night MMA, and they, they run up and down Florida. He's a great guy. His name's Mitchell. And he freaking was like, hey, I said, hey, is there any way you can help me out with this? Because he had given Troy like some small gloves and they were custom Combat Night gloves. And I was like, do you know someone that can do that? And he like hooked it up. It came from overseas, but he put a rush on it to make sure we had it in time and it was you know just lucky and then there's a guy that runs a retro grappler shop that around here he trains and uh he knows mitchell really well and then we got linked up and i had actually gotten like undisputed era rash guards made too just because i'm like oh we're, we're always kind of training together and then you know i had no rash guards and i was like i should probably get more rash guards because i'm stinking up my regular shirts you know rash guards are just made more for that so i did that and then i was like oh well obviously i got to get some made for for this i need it more than ever so it's a cool little commemorative thing to have i got like my son one and his you know it has like his name like spider troy because he's spider-man and uh you know i love that kind of stuff because it's stuff that'll stay with me forever and those guys like in the group you know it was it was sad because i got my wife one and i'd gotten you know adrian one and it didn't you know end up working out things happen the way they did but at least it's something they can remember like 
and used. Wait, so was Marina going to be in Diamond Mine too? Or you just got it because you, oh, she was? Yeah. Oh, wow. I had no idea. You're the Messiah of the Backbreaker? Mm-hmm. The Backbreaker, even from your origin story of the end of heartache, is a transitional move. So wouldn't you want to be like the Messiah, like the, the pinfall or like the Messiah of the submission victory? Like, why, why, are you, why did you pick the Backbreaker to be what you were messiahing over? Mm-hmm. I know you do a lot of backbreakers. I don't want you to think I don't understand the name. But... No, no, no. For me, it was just uh, one technically thinking from a like a character standpoint. Now, it is the thing that inflicts the most pain constantly. So that is what I want to do to people. And I want it to be a lingering effect beyond just our match. Like if you've ever had your back give you trouble it's the freaking worst but realistically like how the idea came up was i was training eric stevens at the time and he was really in tune with everything like wrestling books and i wasn't i was very like ignorant to a lot like indies being like outside of florida just really thought major companies that's it like in my head and i was like what do people not really do a lot of now and he's like, yeah, no one really does like backbreakers and stuff. And I was like, boom, that's what I'm going to do. And then just trying to think of like different ways to do it. But I mean, if I'm writing out a story in a match, why I do it, it's so people cannot move the same, don't have the same strength, all those different uh, little things. Not saying that it ever necessarily gets across that much, but I can't do anything about that aspect. I can't sell for four people, but. Yeah, that is the reason to just cause a lot of nagging pain. They can just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And then boom, can't even walk. I would love to just do that one day, give a bunch of back. And then they just lose based on the fact that they can't move. And I don't even cover them. I just leave. It's just a TKO. They're like, yo, he can't continue. Yeah. His back is actually yeah. broken. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I'm mad that that explanation makes a lot of sense. I wanted you to not have a good defense for it, but that's pretty solid. So. Yeah. See, that's what I do when I have a lot of time to myself. Uh, it's funny to think about it started just something that's going to catch people's eyes and get me a lot of attention to then why I actually do it. It took a long time to necessarily figure out, but I mean, that's why I always say I love wrestling because it's way deeper than it really seems. It seems just so black and white and stuff. And there's just so much when it comes to doing, especially at a high level, that is emotional. It's like the kind of stuff that I feel is so important and transitional period of trying to figure out exactly how to get that across because you don't do it all yourself. You're in there with a dance partner and trying to make it all make sense. But that's where I'm at when it comes to stuff like that now. Mad respect and much thanks to the champion Messiah Diamond Miner. You can see Roderick Strong every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. on the USA Network for WWE NXT with now twice as many .0s. Is it a coincidence he won the championship right after he did this show? Of course not. So now we go to another soon-to-be title holder, Mike D of Killswitch Engage. In November of 2006, KSE would release their fourth album, but only second with then-vocalist Howard Jones, entitled As Daylight Dies. 
After having huge success, including a Grammy nomination with their previous album, The End of Heartache, how would the band follow up? Well, for starters, with the WWE theme song used for years by CM Punk. Oh, more wrestling? I'm starting to notice a theme here. Killswitch for me, of course, when I got into you guys, it was from the Ferret record. And then when Alive or Just Breathing came out, you know, that was very much part of like the VFW hardcore metalcore scene I was deeply involved in. Uh, you specifically. Same with us, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Same with us. I mean, we could not believe that Roadrunner was interested in us. I remember uh, talking to the guys. I had just gotten off the phone with uh, Mike Gitter, who was the A&R rep over there. Uh, and the next day we were practicing and I said, you'll never guess who called my house phone, my parents' house. Mike Gitter, the guy who wrote for Thrasher Magazine, is interested in signing us to Roadrunner Records. Everyone laughed at me. Like, what would Roadrunner see in a VFW band? Like, there's, this is the most ridiculous thing. So we pursued it because it was funny. Because we're like, there's no way this big label could ever be interested in us small, a small town band like this. And it, it worked. It's weird. It's very strange how things work out like that. Uh, we are one of two bands on Roadrunner that finished our contracts. DSide being the sec- uh, first. And then we were the second to actually finish the contract be done and move on so yeah you come in from that kind of scene and then of course when you're really picking up steam blowing up on mtv2 things like that with my last serenades being a big hit jesse steps down you get howard into the band and end of heartache comes out which is a huge even bigger record for you you get a grammy nomination things like that I say things like that, like there's other things like Grammy nominations, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the first time my parents actually said, okay, uh, we understand and we validate what you're doing because I found out about that Grammy nomination. It was like, oh, our son, the poor starving artist, uh, finally did something with his life. Okay, we accept you now, black sheep. <laughs> right, they can relate to that. They know what a Grammy is. They don't know what like yeah. the New England Hardcore Metal Fest is or whatever. Exactly. So I always saw As Daylight Dies as kind of like you guys more acclimating to having Howard in the band, because End of Heartache almost seems like you're kind of figuring it out, even though I know it's hugely successful, so I'm not downplaying that. But As Daylight Dies seems like, okay, we figured it out. These are the strengths. We'll eliminate the weaknesses. And you know, it has one of your biggest songs, if not your biggest song, with My Curse. But do you see that as the same way with As Daylight Dies? Do you think it was a, a step up from End of Heartache? You're very correct in that uh, End of Heartache was an experiment. I mean, we had no idea what was going to happen. We just knew that Howard could sing. He could sing really well. Uh, We had never been in the studio with him. We didn't know how he worked well with others. Um, And we were kind of just riffing with it and just going with it and actually turned out really good. Uh, Vastly different from um, the the previous record, Alive or Just Breathing. And uh, I wasn't positive if it was the direction that I personally thought the band should be going in. Uh, but looking back at it, I don't know what my fucking problem was. <laughs> uh, so, so then moving on to As Daylight Dies, I felt like it melded more of the Alive or Just Breathing and um, the End of Heartache together to m- more of a, a solid uh, sound, more of, more of a, a good combination of both records. And I, I felt like that could have been probably one of our best efforts uh, at that point. Uh, I remember finishing as daylight dies and going on the road, being in Europe, doing press. 
And no one was asking about that record. Everyone was asking about End of Heartache, End of Heartache. I'm like, listen, guys, we've got a new record. It's pretty good. But I felt like no one liked it. I felt like no one gave a shit about it until now, 20, 15 years later, people are talking about it like it's a good record. So thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But as far as uh, the Holy Diver stuff and all that and the CM Punk song, we recorded those before so that was like we we had done some touring on end of heartache uh came home and we were ready to maybe write or record some stuff we had the opportunity to do both those songs and then probably four months later four or five months later we started recording as daylight dies so those were done previous and we didn't put them on the record because we didn't want to be known as one of those bands that just puts uh cover songs on their records all the time so it took a little while for us to put it out on our special edition version and it fucking blew up. And we were just like, oh, whoops, <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> Not putting it on the original record. So this Fire Burns actually predates the other songs on As Daylight Dies? Yeah, yeah. Both those songs were recorded way, way beforehand. Yep. And did you record it for WWE? Like they came to you and said, we need you to make a song for us. And that's what you came up with? They were doing a compilation uh, it was aggressive intent, aggressive intent or something like that. They were doing a compilation. Intent? That's it. And uh, they were grabbing like Shadows Fall and a bunch of bands that we we were touring with, and uh, and giving them the opportunity to to remake a lot of the theme songs that were going on in the WWE at the time. So uh, we were stoked. We were one of the first ones that got asked, and it was originally for Randy Orton. We were excited. I mean, why not? It's it was a huge platform. It, uh, most of the guys aren't wrestling, or all the guys aren't wrestling fans except me and Howard at the time. So we were pushing for it really hard letting them know how many viewers watch Monday night raw every, every week or whatever, how many did uh, back then it was uh, ginormous. So it was uh, just a great opportunity to do something like that. Um, so Randy Orton came up with a theme song for one day and the fans wrote in and said, we hate that song, get it out of here. So they took it off the air and I taped it. You know, the first night it happened, I was really excited. It was on the TiVo. I was like, oh, this is so cool. They even showed our logo and everything like that. It was, it was really, it was a, it's a pretty cool thing to get, to come crashing down the very next day by people saying that they didn't want, they wanted his song turned back to, uh, to what it was before. Uh, so we thought that the song would never see the light of day after that, besides the compilation. And it turned up in, uh, I think, Armageddon pay-per-view later so we were like oh cool okay they used it once more okay we feel like we uh we pulled our weight and then uh and then it showed up in the ecw remake with cm punk and we and i thought it could have been the best opportunity for that song to really show what it's worth um i loved ecw is the reason why i'm into wrestling um cm punk was amazing back then uh, the ring of honor stuff and um straight edge so it it melded well with the hardcore uh that we were we were trying to portray so it was it was just a great marriage i thought um you know back then really worked out did you work directly with jim johnson at all is he like giving you notes or anything like that jim johnson sent us a demo and we essentially covered the demo so he's pretty much just like this has to be this uh or 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 make it in your own style but it kind of needs to sound like this and there were no vocals on it. Um, that was one of the few times that we were able to write our own vocals for stuff like that. Usually they have, they want you, they give you bullet points or tell you exactly what to say. And uh, we had free reign. 
which I think could have been the last time anyone had free reign to do a theme song for those guys. They were like, hey, after this, we can't, we can't be letting people. Yeah. Those, kill, those kill switch guys really screwed it up. You can't have this happen anymore. So a few years ago, speaking of wrestling themes, though, you did an interview where you said that you were the Killswitch was working on two wrestling theme songs, one for WWE that was a cover and then another for a quote unquote rival promotion. What were those? Lucha Underground, Marty the Moth was going to come out to the first song on the new record, uh, Unleashed. Uh, it wasn't officially writ- written for him, but uh, when I sent him the demo tracks. That was the one he gravitated towards. We're like, all right, this is the Marty the Moth song. So from then on, that was going to be his theme song. It just so happened. Lucha Underground didn't really feel like having to pay any money for any songs. Uh, so the, the deal didn't work out so well. And then our, Lucha Underground went under, unfortunately, uh, before we could really finish inking the deal. And uh, Marty the Moth has since popped up in AEW. And um, we're crossing our fingers that we can use the song there. So there's, there's a definite possibility for that. Uh, the WWE song for Roderick Strong was essentially another cover. And um, the guys just weren't really feeling the song. This, this stuff is subjective. And some people have opinions. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that they're wrong. So the band members, I was fighting the band members to try and get the song. Uh, finished but we got it to a really good spot i did an interview where i said that the guys weren't into the song wwe saw that and pulled the plug so i essentially got canceled by wwe for for uh speaking the truth which is unfortunate but i see I, i'm i'm a loud mouth I'm a big mouth uh I, I i tell everything that is in my stupid little head whether i can figure out where the filter is or not it just comes spewing out and I feel bad uh, for Roderick Strong. Hopefully he didn't have to go through anything because of that. I feel bad for my band because of uh, just the way things went down. I don't super feel bad that I told the truth, uh, but maybe there's better ways to do it. So when you say cover, you mean you were covering the theme song they already made. It wasn't like Holy Divers a cover. It was like a cover of a, a track that WWE used. They wanted to, they wanted us to cover the exact Roderick Strong theme song, which was essentially a cover of a Killswitch song. So it, it really sounded exactly like something that we would kind of do anyways, but with explosions and stuff in it. Like WWE adds weird sound effects to their songs, and that immediately turned the guys off. They were not like, "Do we have to put explosions in this thing?" This is so they started adding fart noises and all sorts of weird. Like, beehive noises and, and neighing from horses and stuff like that <laughs> instead, instead of explosions because we're just not that serious i don't know but that is cool about the the cm punk song that i i got to imagine as much as i love randy orton that you probably think cm punk is cooler than randy orton we'll be back after a quick break but you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping you feel me loading them up on it, it only takes structure and, and you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah, know what I mean. So, do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to yeah. get them on there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, look, look. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like 
Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right with this I got lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Don't, don't play with it. Don't play with it. Take that shit serious. At the time, oh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, Randy has gotten so much better, in my opinion. Uh, every time he's on the screen, he's uh, he's a killer. I, I don't know. I really, I he's so smooth. It almost. He, you almost miss how good he is because he's so smooth in the ring, especially those uh, RKOs are ridiculous, ridiculously fast. I guess Randy Orton would have been a, a fan of it too because uh, he asked for specifically. Um, and I, I had heard that the first time CM Punk and Randy Orton locked up, Randy Orton said, I want my song back. <laughs> That's from, yeah, CM Punk told me that. I, I that, that was really, really funny. It's probably my my favorite memory of that whole scenario is hearing that story, but uh, met up with punk a few times. Uh, he's interviews a bunch, a uh, really, really nice guy. That was a big connection for me with kill switch engage is watching the Hellfest 2000 VHS. And you're wearing a raw is Jericho shirt. And I was like, Hey, that's the thing that I got beat up for in middle school. <laughs> I don't remember. There wasn't really a point to me wearing that shirt, but I did get to wear it. 20 years later on that, the video that we just shot for the streaming concert we did at the Palladium. And I got to revise that shirt. I pulled it out of the mothballs. It still fit really well. So I was, ex- I was stoked to be able to, uh, to wear that thing again for that show that happened. Palladium Rules. That's uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. The Palladium is a place where we kind of got our start. And uh, we love those guys over there. We did our first DVD there. and. Um, there's always a, a soft spot in our heart for that club. Uh, pretty much every major thing that's ever happened to us has, has usually happened in or around Worcester or the Palladium. And how many times have you seen the East side at the Palladium? Ah, <laughs> uh, several. <laughs> uh, my old band Overcast played with them a bunch. And uh, they, they were definitely a staple. They played a lot at the Espresso Bar which is another uh, club in the area or Ralph's diner, which is another club. Worcester was definitely a really cool scene. Um, It was never a scene that people wanted to be quote unquote associated with way back when I'm not sure why, maybe because it's the armpit of Massachusetts. Everyone wanted to be, Oh, we're Western mass or we're Boston. But uh, I was always kind of hip to the, to Worcester because uh, it was easier to park. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Way easier park to go to a show, man. I don't want to be bothered with driving around for a half hour. You know, well, I mean? yeah, and it also had a lot of the like rap metal bands that were more rooted in hardcore, like Eastside or uh, Null Set, FKA, Ooh. Gangsta Bitch, Barbie, um, Reveille. Not, not my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first song that you guys wrote for "As Daylight Dies" that wasn't the uh, this fire burns that was actually for the album you got that you really realized like hey this is working this is what we want to do as far as the direction of this record goes it's funny uh end of heartache was pretty much an adam record adam joel and i who you know was the writing was always split between the three of us and joel and i i don't know for some reason after uh live just breathing we were kind of tapped out and adam just had all these ideas and with the new singer he really stepped it up and he just had a million demos ready to go. So we just started busting out all those demos, but Joel and I felt bad that we didn't write enough. Uh, so with as daylight dies, we were consciously trying to write more. Um, 
but I can't recall if any of our tunes were the first ones uh, that we practiced. I know Adam's tune. Adam had like four or five straight off the bat, and as daylight dies was one. I had the storm. Uh, that sounds storm. like a that sounds like a Mike song to me. It's got the little bass walk was, at the end. That was my tune. Uh, that one was kind of an earlier one. I remember that song, uh, that whole record was written and recorded fairly fast because we were kind of in the middle of touring and things were going really well. And we had just gotten off the Headbangers Ball Tour and we just needed to get back out there and start playing again. We knew our material was good. We knew we weren't shorting fans by recording an album really fast. Uh, we just knew we had to get back to touring. So uh, we just, we banged it out and got back out there. And that, that record we toured in on before we started recording. So, so when we did the CM Punk song and the uh, Holy Diver song, we were already touring for that record. Then four months later, we recorded that record. We were still touring on that record. And we were toured for like two years on the record, which was a long time for us. And then Holy Diver went to radio. And they wanted us to tour for another half a year. So we were already kind of tapped out, and then all of a sudden we had this new resurgence of uh, the Holy Diver thing that we really needed to pay attention to and, and get back out there. So, you know, it's, it's awesome to have people want you to be playing shows. It's really cool to play shows, but after two and a half years, we were, we were just, just tapped out. We were just ready to, to lay down in the bed for a couple months and not do anything at all. But, uh, it was a whirlwind, that record in particular. It kept refusing to do it as a single and uh then they released the you know six months later they did the special editions on on roadrunner and and it came out and people really gravitated towards it so our manager sat us down and said listen guys <laughs> i get it you don't want to be that band but you got a really cool opportunity for people who haven't heard you to to listen to the band and at least uh check you out so why don't we just you know, put on our big boy pants and put this thing out and, and get into it. So we got into it. Whose idea was that like King Arthur looking music video for it? I think that was Adam. Adam immediately said, I want to be the princess. We should make this look like Holy Diver, the original. And Mike, you're the, the hero because you're the shortest one of the bunch. You look more like Dio than anybody else in the band. So we, 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 we approached it that way. It was the, the two characters were already set in stone and then we figured everyone else after that. Now you mentioned, of course, Adam being the producer of not only these records, I think he produced Overcast too, right? So you've been working with him for. He did uh, the, the Metal Blade record. We did, um, <clears throat> we did updated versions of a lot of the Overcast stuff. And uh, I couldn't think of a better person to do the producing than Adam. He was a big fan of ours back in the day. And the funny thing was, um, while Killswitch was getting going, it was myself and Adam and Joel. And I wasn't quite sure that I wanted to stop Overcast. I mean, it was already had been over for a while, but I had asked Adam if he wanted to play drums for Overcast. He said, yes, our drummer had quit. Our, our guitarist had quit for Overcast. So we were drummerless. And Adam said, yeah, yes. And so I went to the remaining Overcast dudes and I said, uh, we, could, we could potentially do this again with an amazing drummer. And uh, they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it without Fitzy, which I totally get. It wasn't that they didn't want to do it with Adam. They just didn't want to do it without the other drummer. They just didn't want to do it with the original guy. And, and I, I get it because he was the guy who wrote all that stuff. But uh, Adam was a great alternative. And 
Uh, I remember jamming with him for the first time thinking, holy smoke, sometimes you have that synergy. When you, if you're a musician and you play with another musician, you know things lock on. You don't even have to talk. It's this uh, thought pattern. And they just Some people just know what you're going for or what, you know what they're going for. And it's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty amazing energy whenever he's playing drums. He's like a caveman, bombastic, big, heavy beats, bleeding, like the whole thing. Um, and, and besides the fact that he's, he's a giant sitting behind a tiny little kit. So it already looks funny as it is. <laughs> right. Like the little monkey on the little drum set. <laughs> exactly. Well, with the writing being split between the three of you that you're saying, and, you know, especially on As Daylight Dies, but throughout the, the, the canon, if you will, Adam has a lot of vocals. So does he work with the vocalists to kind of write the songs uh, lyrically and, and vocally together, too? Always, always. There's always uh, thesauruses and dictionaries laying around at the studio, uh, thinking up different words that mean the same thing. Occasionally, the engineer, Wayne, uh, would write some lines here and there. Yeah, it was like a a group effort to make sure that that it wasn't super stagnant and uh, stale. With a band member being the producer versus, you know, this outside third party kind of giving input, are there ever times where Adam has to be kind of extra hard on you guys because he really wants to get a a certain performance out or it's just, you know, it's just like he has the same goal anyway. So you're all on the same page regardless. Adam is extra hard on everybody and maybe especially us because he knows uh, what we, that we can create something pretty cool. So uh, recording with him is, is definitely a stressful, rough go, but he gets the best out of you. He's relatable in that. You can, you can riff off of him and talk to him about certain parts and, and figure out better scenarios. Uh, there's a lot of freestyle jazzy things that, that I'm going back and forth with him talking about certain parts and how they should be elevated, how they should build. Uh, so it's a really fun learning experience as well. And he's done so many records with us that it just feels like it's the way it should be. You know, we tried one record without him and we swore we would never do that again because there was such a train wreck that we had to wrestle it out of the producer's hands and give it back to Adam to fix. Self-titled part two is what is what Brendan O'Brien? Is that who did it? It is, yes. Um, He had just a bit different vision. Um, The drums and the bass were very loud in the mix that he had. And and the kill switch guitarists were like, nope, where are the guitars? (laughs) Um, and so you were like, it, let's it, bury them, put that base up. <laughs> I say, I like it. I think it sounds pretty cool, but, um, I think what they, what they got, uh, in the final outcome of that record could be the best sounding record that we've, we've done. With my curse being the first single that I heard, I remembered thinking, so end of heartache had come out. Of course you had big hits with Rose of Sharon and, and end of heartache that are very, uh, melodically driven, especially vocally, a lot of clean vocals and, the uh, radio edit slash video version has like the more sung chorus versus like a you know the growl that uh howard and or adam does and i remember being very upset about that because well first of all i hadn't heard the album version so i I was like oh man they had a big hit with all the singing they just got rid of any screaming it's just going to be singing from now on because they know that that's the 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 move but do it this way or it's not going to go radio. 
take out the double bass because middle America doesn't like that. Don't have screams because regular people can't take it. I don't even understand it. It's all over the place. We kept saying, what about this song on the radio? What about this song? Well, it doesn't sound as guttural as what you guys are doing. We're bummed. We hate changing anything ever. Once we finish it, it's, we want it to be done. But uh, we had a long line of songs where we had to take out double bass and we had to take out screaming or else we weren't going to be able to do the radio, period. Like you either do it or you do, or no, or, or you've lost your opportunity. So we changed a couple things, tweak a couple things to make people happy and, and hope for the best. You know, it is a bummer. We hate it. Well, at least the album versions, though, are like, I assume what the original intention were, just the radio and, exactly. and video. Yeah. So with the success of End of Heartache coming into As Daylight Dies, what is the move or the approach of the A&R guy, of Mike Gitter in this case, with coming in and making sure, you know, obviously they want to follow up with just as big, if not bigger of a success. So are there anything, is he even involved? Is he coming by Zing Studios and seeing what's up in the process? After Alive or Just Breathing, he was completely locked out of any studio. He was not allowed to call the singer anymore. He, we kind of left him in the dark uh, and just said, if you like what we already gave you, don't worry, we're handling it. And, and we just, we would send him final demos and the final product. And that was it. So when you say you locked him out of the studio after the first one, was there something that happened during a live or just breathing that he was a little overbearing? Yes. <laughs> uh, if Roadrunner doesn't like it, they can just drop us. Like, it's not that big of a deal. We'll put out one record and then we'll just go our merry way and figure something else out. <laughs> And Jesse's kind of strength too is is less his vocals, which is no disparagement on his vocals because I think he's incredible. And I got into you guys with Jesse on vocals, but you know his lyrics and his personal touch to the songs and the emotion he brings is kind of what you know. My last serenade, of course, being the big song that I'm sure a lot of people got into you with, is because of what a emotional impact it is versus just different things. That, uh, especially on that very first record, uh, he was all over the place, and it was pretty cool to have somebody that could pull out a singing part right next to a screen part. And it just wasn't being done that way uh, back then. Um, so we just wanted to keep going, rolling with uh, Jesse's ideas. We just thought he had really cool ideas. And to, to have someone tell you that your ideas aren't right and you need to do it completely opposite, uh, it just wasn't working with how we were, we were working as a team. I think Howard could push back, and he was really good at not answering the phone anyway. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I remember we did one, we did one sit down with Roadrunner. Uh, we all went out to lunch after a photo shoot, the photo shoot for, uh, for that record that appears on that record. And we were talking, we were listening to the demos or maybe it was the final product. And we were just talking over what maybe needed to change and, and what was sounding really good. And it was probably a two hour sit down. We all had dinner. At the very end, everyone looked over at Howard and was like, you cool with this? And he just looks up and goes, what? And it takes earplugs out. puts them <laughs> on the table. That was fucking awesome. It was awesome. It's the funniest fucking thing. So you're talking about photo shoots and things like that for the album. Of course, you do the, the artwork layouts for the albums. 
Um, you did artwork for other bands. I mean, me being from the Carolinas, Bludgeon. I remember you did that wow. record. Wow, I just, uh, it's funny. They're re-releasing one of their records on vinyl, the, the last one they did, Between Breaths, very soon. So I've been talking a lot to Joel from Bludgeon here and there and, and uh, redoing some of his artwork for him. So with this uh, with this artwork for As Daylight Dies, you know, the main version of or the standard edition, whatever you want to call it, has kind of like this skull behind what looks like a, a piece of glass that's being shattered maybe by a bullet to the eye or something. Is that an idea that you came up with on your own or did you talk with Howard o- over that song? You know, there's a song called As Daylight Dies, so I don't know if you're trying to relate it to that or where's the inspiration for that cover come from? That particular cover, I didn't have any ideas at all. Um, I was going through a phase where I was using a lot of practical uh, things and taking photos of them uh, is more of a realistic approach to graphic design covers. The first self-titled Kill Switch had random uh, photographs from my apartment that just were textures. Uh, Alive or Just Breathing had a bunch of cut paper and a broken watch that I, sm- I had smashed and, and uh, took photos of the gears. Uh, End of Heartache was nails, flowers, styrofoam, hearts, and uh, snow snow salt from cars. You know, when they put salt on the ground and, and, and to, to get the snow off the roads and your, your car gets covered in this white kind of uh, soot. Usually, most of my projects start with a trip to Michael's <laughs> the craft store to, to find uh, what I'm going to use for the next cover. Uh, with As Daylight Dies, uh, I went and bought a bunch of mirrors and panes of glass, uh, brought them outside, took a hammer, smashed them with a hammer, shot them at a bunch of different angles. I bought some fake flowers, put some nails through them. Um, at the time, Slayer had just done that one record with the nails in the Bible. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we were like the fruity version where we had nails? <laughs> A through, fruity through, version? <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we had like nails to flowers instead. So it was sort of a riff on that a little bit, kind of in the back of my mind. But yeah, that's how that, that went. The side of the face that is more of a cherub looking thing uh, was something I shot in uh, Newport. Rhode Island at one of the, uh, the mansions there. Uh, if you go on the mansion tour in Newport, Rhode Island, uh, you'll probably see that face hanging out somewhere. Um, and then it was, it, the other side was supposed to be like our kill switch skull. Um, I'm not, I, I didn't think it came out as great as I wanted it to come out. Um, that's why when we did the special edition, I kind of went in a completely different direction. And also when we re-released the double vinyl on run out groove. I kind of kept it in the special edition vein and, and was able to rip it apart and redo it again as the special edition version. Um, it was just a cover that got away from me. Uh, there's some cool textures and some really cool things that I like about it. Um, but as a whole, uh, I didn't think it was as effective as some of my other artwork. So this is actually real items that you're photographing at different angles and then digitizing. It's not like all done I- on a, yeah, I can't draw. I'm not. I'm not an illustrator whatsoever. Uh, everything I do is either a photograph or I, I buy some clip art somewhere uh, and use it. Um, but it's mostly photography. Um, I, I have the chance to go around the world and shoot many different things, many different textures, and and um, and I never wasted an opportunity to uh, go out of the tour bus and just shoot a, a couple of 
you ca- used to call it rolls of film, but now it's just uh, memory sticks. You know, a bunch of memory sticks of just random stuff, stuff that I may not need now, but I may want, you know, in the future. And uh, so I keep a catalog of gigs upon gigs of just every possible thing you can possibly think of nails and, and burnt phone books and just like all sorts of crazy stuff that I may never need, but uh, I have it there as, as a tool to use whenever I have to pull it out. And most of my Halloween seasons begin with a trip to Michael's as well. So I can relate to this, uh, this trip. Great. You ever go to target? Uh, target has the $1 socks that I've, they only come out uh, like a month before Halloween. And if you miss out, you miss out. Well, I can, t- <laughs> I can tell you with full <laughs> confidence. We probably have a lot of the same socks, but I don't know if you have the same problem, but they're so thin. Like my, my big toe goes through them a lot, but don't yeah, throw yeah, them away. Yeah. Of course not. They're still in the no. drawer. Well, you mentioned, you know, you kind of had a, I don't want to say inspiration, but maybe that's what you're saying through that Slayer album cover with the nails, but 36 crazy fists and their snow-capped romance cover. Yes, they were, they were both kind of being done at the exact same time, unbeknownst to either of us. Uh, and uh, it was a little unfortunate. They look very, very similar. And we also tour with them a bunch on that record. That record is so good. That could be one of my favorite records that 36 uh, did. I, I love that record. And uh, we did our first European tour with those guys on that record. Uh, it was the Roadrunner Road Rage. Fantastic. It was such a memorable tour. If you want to talk about a Roadrunner success story, Roadrunner Europe was the most amazing compilation of people uh, working together and, and doing their jobs properly. It was such a pleasure to go over there. We went over there with 36 and, and uh, 5.0. First oh, European God, tour. How good is 5.0 though? Can we take a second Great. to acknowledge I mean, them? Even just the people in the band, like everybody, the, that whole crew, that, that tour was just phenomenal. We were going to rotate headlining slots, scared out of our wits, three quote unquote baby bands from the Roadrunner that no one knew about, just put out records, like just, just put out records. We were nervous. No one was going to show up. Our first time in Europe, no one's ever heard of us. We get there, 900 cap rooms filled to capacity, selling out rooms left and right. Like, what? What? How? Like, oh, you're on Roadrunner. People know Roadrunner, so they'll just buy tickets. Like, we got this thing in lockdown. Don't worry about it. We got this thing covered. And they did. And it was uh, just night after night of amazing shows because of Roadrunner Europe. Are there any songs on As Daylight Dies that you guys don't really play live that often that you miss? Hmm, Unbroken was really fun. Uh, we almost never played Eye of the Storm, but that was really fun. We, we kind of stay away from songs that go longer. Uh, Adam gets bored <laughs> while we play them, so we don't play a lot of the longer songs. We have, like short bursts of energy, I guess. Eye of the Storm is definitely my favorite song on the album, for sure. Oh, cool. Thanks. And I really love For You also, just because it's like so simple. And I feel like it's just the textbook way to show exactly how this metalcore shit is done, you know, because it's not even like, it doesn't have to be complicated. Not that you guys don't have plenty of intricate parts throughout your catalog, but it's just that dun, 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 dun. But it goes from the drums and then there's a little pause. And you come back in with it, and I'm ready to fight a parked car. I love you. That's my another one of my songs. <laughs> <laughs> You've named all my songs from that record. Perfect.
Is there anything with As Daylight Dies that you wish you would have done differently in retrospect? You said it was kind of a rushed record. I think I think it came out better than expected. Uh, rushed in as in we wanted to get back out touring. Uh, I, I feel like I could have had a better vision for the cover and maybe for the inside layout. Um, my intentions were really good at the, at the onset. Oh, you, there's there's hits and there's misses and I just happened to miss on one of our biggest records. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Fuck. Is As Daylight Dies the best Kill Switch record up until that point? I thought it came out really well. I still, I'm a sucker for Live Just Breathing just because it was really everyone pouring their heart and soul into something and us writing a record that we wanted to do and not what Roadrunner was expecting. So we we laughing. We were laughing in the studio. They're going to hate this. They're going to fucking hate this. Oh my God. They're going to hate this. But they loved it. Like I said, we were a VFW band. We, I don't know how we got to this point, but man, it feels really good. That whole scene though, you know, on Earth, they became a huge band. You guys. It started with Hatebreed. Hatebreed got on the Triple X soundtrack. They put their foot in the door for all these major labels and us, Shadows Fall, Unearth, bands like that, just kind of all that remains, just kind of snuck in through the side door because Hatebreed showed that it showed that it was viable and it could make money. And that was what newer fans were gravitating towards. They really wanted this aggressive stuff. And I see that you have the first appearance of Wolverine uh, comic book. I do. Is that uh, 190, uh, 180 or 181? 181. I think it's 181. Okay, so that's the one where he really appeared in. When I was a kid, I used to get uh, the Marvel Universes, and they would have all the first appearances of everybody. So I'd go through and write down the first appearances of all the characters that I liked, and Wolverine being one of them. And that was back in the day where you could roll up to a, a comic book shop and pay $5 for Wolverine's first appearance. Now, it's thousands or whatever it, it goes for. So I had hulk 180 and hulk 181 in front of me i was like 10 bucks oh man uh let's see so he appears in 180 for like the back page he's on the cover that's his first appearance i'll buy that one it's the next one that hit it for like the thousands of dollars that i didn't buy and i could have paid five bucks for um so it's sort of a it's my um slowly i turn kind of scenario (laughs) What is your favorite memory of making As Daylight Dies or your favorite thing about that record? The biggest triumph of it? There are one, two, three, four firsts on that touring cycle. First one was uh, we did Warp Tour for the first time, 13th Warp Tour. Uh, That was very memorable. Uh, Unfortunately, Adam had uh, back surgery during uh, this. I think he, he hurt his back on the second run on that touring cycle. So the second tour. So right away, as soon as we started touring, hurt his back had to, had to leave and we had to find replacements for him for a few of those tours, but we did it with, uh, let's see, we did download rock and ring rock and park with Pat Lackman, which was really, really cool, uh, from damage plan. Um, like I said, we did warp tour, uh, as a four piece. Uh, we did, uh, Brixton Academy, which is a giant venue in the UK. And we did Russia for the first time on that tour. 
Then, then Adam came back. We were doing those all as four pieces, and it, it felt really cool to be able to pull off a kill switch set as a four piece. Now we've done it since a bunch of times, but back then it was a pretty brand new thing. We weren't sure we could we could do it, but but it went really well. Uh, we did Vakken for the very first time on that touring cycle, uh, which we recorded. This is Absolution uh, video. Uh, one of the biggest wall of deaths I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure someone might've died during that thing. But uh, if you watch the video, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Both Adam um, and Howard have cool hats on in that video. Oh, do they? <laughs> uh, what, what hat is Adam wearing? Adam's just wearing a hat, like to the side, like he's uh, a seven-year-old and Howard has just a plain red baseball cap on, which is funny in retrospect with common context, but also just, he kind of looks funny wearing a baseball cap. um i remember that show in particular is probably the biggest highlight of the whole thing just vakin is just known for being a metal heads metal festival like you see people rolling up on harleys no shirt leather vest beer gut drinking a beer ready to party and if you're not metal get the fuck out of here so you know, we're, we're a metal band we we got hardcore thrown in. I was slightly nervous. Cause this is like the real, this is like the Judas priest metalhead crowd, you know, like they want to hear fucking metal. We were sandwiched in between the carcass reunion and the, at the gates reunion. So it was carcass at the gates, carcass reunion, us, and then at the gates reunion, two of my most favorite metal bands of all time. We have to play in between them on the biggest metal metal type fest ever so i was stressed i couldn't even look up uh during vodka for the first three or four songs i i was so nervous that people were going to hate us but it ended up being one of the best shows like eighty thousand people moshing doing the wall of death um got to see carcass got to see at the gates it was a, a really really fun time this fire burns is a lot of people's favorites wrestling entrance theme what is a favorite wrestling entrance theme of yours stone cold for sure the the smash glass yeah the disturbed uh, version that's your favorite <laughs> uh no uh i forgot that he did that um rvd walk pantera uh from ecw was amazing uh sandman enter sandman one of the best intros i can possibly think of you just walk around the crowd opening beers and dumping on people's heads smashing them on his forehead uh those three for sure yeah recorded by zebra head for ecw oh really with a lemmy on vocals you said you got a chance to tour the world you get to travel all over the place as a vegan donut connoisseur myself (laughs) What is the top vegan donut spot? We'll just stick with the U.S. You don't got to go worldwide. Okay, so you turn me on to uh, Plant City, which has, um, it's in Rhode Island. It's in Providence, Rhode Island. It's a vegan kind of, uh, I don't know what you call it. Just a, It's a house that houses four or five different restaurants in, in the one place, in one building. And uh, they have donuts there. They have uh, macaroons and all sorts of fun pastry um, that you don't normally don't get as a vegan. Um, it's really hard to go someplace and say, oh, I can order anything on this menu. Um, 
but there's something kind of cool about that as well. Something a little nerdy about being able to, to have to look for your food rather than just eat whatever is in front of you or to be, a, you know, that type of consumer that just consumes whatever's available. Um, but I, I did love that the donuts from there. Very good. And I went to Lovebird in Kittery, Maine. And I feel like they have the best vegan donut on the planet. Never mind Europe, never mind the moon. Here on this planet, fantastic. You ever you ever check those guys out? No, I can't even tell you the last time I've been to Maine, but you're saying Planet Earth's number one spot for the vegan donuts? Yes. Lovebird. 100%, 100%. The only thing is you got to go on the website, you got to order a day in advance. They sell out fast. Everything they got, they're closed by 12 noon. Gone. I would love to have a business where you just <laughs> sell out of everything every day. It would be the coolest thing. And no one complains. Everyone loves their donuts. It's a, it's a great model for sure. As daylight dies, dead. But don't let it rest in peace. Prepare for war with it today, because it's an awesome album I love a lot, but despite its success, I think it's often overlooked. To tell Mike how much you think it rocks, check Killswitch Engage out on tour in 2021 with fellow Meepsters, or former Meepsters, or current Meepsters, Fever333, Code Orange, and Slipknot. That's a whole lot of meat. If you want to hear Mike and I talk about wrestling and desserts more, Check out patreon.com slash meetmeetpod for bonus episodes. And if you want to be a world champion, buy the t-shirt at meetmeep.bigcartel.com. Limited size is still available. But thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you next time with Sepultura and their 1998 album, Against. But be with me, not against me. Because I'm Ryan Rainbow. this is Meet Meep, and yes, that's the best that I could come up with. Bye!